Well, when I was a teenager, my church's youth group took a trip to Eminence, uh, Missouri. Uh, we were going to float some of the rivers there, but the retreat center we were staying at also had some team building and survival skill activities. Uh, one of the activities was called orienteering. Uh, has anyone done orienteering before or know what it is? Uh, so orienteering is where you get a map and a compass and you are told to find your way to a specific destination. Um, my friend and I, John, um, we were some of the older students in our group, so we were given the opportunity to lead the group on this expedition, which we took as an opportunity to impress our girlfriends who were there with us. Uh, now, neither of us had really used a map or compass before, but we figured, like, how hard could it be? So we started walking in the direction we assumed would lead us to the destination. And at first, everything seemed to be going all right. But after a little while, the adult guides, they started asking questions like, can you see which direction is north on that compass? And are you holding the map the right way? <laughs> to which my friend and I responded quickly, yeah, we're good. But before long, we, we came to a large wooded hill, and John and I began to lead our group up through some very thick brush, like almost chest high at times. And we couldn't quite tell what the adults were saying, but they were whispering to one another at the back of the group. As we got about three quarters of the way up the hill, the adults decided that they needed to take action because we had actually led the entire group through waist-high poison ivy. Now, miraculously, none of the group had any sort of reaction to the poison ivy that day, uh, and the adults helped us backtrack to, I kid you not, the cleared and graveled trail that the map told us to follow, apparently, leading us to the destination. Now, that day, I learned several lessons. I learned that my friend and I are terrible at reading a map. <laughs> but more importantly, I learned that the best guide is the one who knows the destination. You know, I thought I had it all figured out. That I would be able to make it all the way just as I had imagined. I, I had limited knowledge, though, compared to the one who had actually been to the destination, the one who had planned the route, my plans fell far short. Now, as we continue in this season of Advent, preparing our hearts to celebrate Jesus' first coming and leaning into his expected return, this week, we're focusing on hope. Now, this week, I, I saw just on my phone the verse of the day pop up, and it was Hebrews 10, verse 23, popped up on my phone, and it leads into today's passage really well, so I want to read this together. In fact, I want us all to say this together as an act of faith, as mutual encouragement. Now, you don't need to stand, but I would invite you to say this with me. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Now this means that we can and we should continue proclaiming with confidence 
the things that God has promised us. Now, this is no name it and claim it idea. This is trusting Jesus for the things that he has promised us. Has Jesus defeated death? Yes. Was his sacrifice enough to cover us for our own sins and failures? Yes. Will he return again and usher in a new kingdom? Yes. Will the Chiefs win another Super Bowl? (laughs) I guess it depends if Taylor's there, right? (laughs) Will you get that promotion that you've been hoping for? Maybe. Will your neighbors listen to you when you share the gospel? I don't know. Will your kids turn back to Jesus? I hope so. Now, this verse in Hebrews, it doesn't tell us that God is a magic genie who just pops up and grants our wishes. No, it's, it's way better than that. God is with us in our journey. And he doesn't just know the destination. He is the one who carved the trail in front of us. The question is, will we follow his trail Or will we try to carve out our own path and find ourselves in waist-high poison ivy? The choice is yours. But as the author of Hebrews wrote, hold on without wavering. Cling to him. His path, it isn't always easy, but it is better. And sometimes when we think that we're on a paved trail, Sometimes God has detours for us in life that actually turn out to be the path that he had planned for us. Now today, we're continuing our series, The Gospel According to Luke. And just a a brief reminder, Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. So we are in Acts, which is essentially part two of his writings, but they both work together. They both tell an ongoing story. You know, Luke's gospel tells the story of Jesus' life and his crucifixion and his triumph over the grave when he rose again on the third day. And the book of Acts continues by telling the story of the Holy Spirit's work in establishing the early church and beginning the work of taking the gospel to the world. Last week, we saw how the early church was forced out of Jerusalem after intense persecution arose, much of it being led by a young man named Saul. And following this persecution, Luke records the actions of one man named Philip. Now, Philip had previously been raised up as a part of a team to make sure that the Greek widows were cared for. And These men who were raised up, they were described as having a good reputation, being full of both the spirit and wisdom. And on the heels of this persecution, Philip didn't ride off into the sunset and find a place to retire. You know, he didn't just find a place where he could hide or isolate or have an easy life. Instead, he followed the spirit's leading and continued to share the gospel wherever God led him. Now, I thought it might help this week to have a map so that we can kind of follow along with Philip's journey. So take a look at this. At at first, Philip began in Jerusalem, 
and moved north into Samaria. That's where we saw last week's events taking place, where Simon the sorcerer was converted and then confronted for trying to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, God did a really incredible work there in Samaria, essentially creating a Samaritan Pentecost of sorts. And today we're continuing to see the Holy Spirit leading Philip, but to a new and definitely uninspected, unexpected encounter. This is a new road for him, a new turn in the trail. And you can find today's text in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have some in the seatbacks in front of you. Uh, you can find today's passage on page 624 in those white and orange Bibles. But let's go ahead and begin by reading Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 31. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now after going to Samaria, Philip returned to Jerusalem. But he soon received a message from the Lord to leave Jerusalem and go to Gaza, to the south. Now, your ears may perk up when you hear Gaza. It's, it's in the news today. We know it as a place of war and destruction. But at the time of this writing, it wasn't a place of destruction. It was a place of desolation. Now, Luke calls this the desert road. And the Greek word aramos literally means a lonely place, or a solitary, or forsaken place. The same word is used to describe where Jesus often withdrew to pray. Many translations say that he went to the wilderness or to the desert, but it's the same word. At its core, this word is, is sort of a juxtaposition. On its own, this place is often filled with hopelessness, desperation, but this is also where we often see God moving the most. The desert. This is where we see God often meeting people at their darkest moments. Where did Moses first encounter God? In the desert. Where did the Israelites learn to live in full dependence on God? In the wilderness. We already noted that it's where Jesus often withdrew to pray. It's also where John the Baptist's ministry unfolded. You see, God is at work in desert places. He's often found working in the places where hope is most necessary. And this is where the angel told Philip to go. Go to the desert. Here's another map to show this next leg of the journey. He has gone past Jerusalem, down toward Gaza, following the desert road. 
And as he followed this instruction, we don't know how long into his journey this occurred. You know, it may have been minutes or it may have been mile after mile after mile. But regardless, in his obedience, Philip encountered what I think we could clearly call a God-ordained moment. He meets an Ethiopian man who was a eunuch and a high official in the court of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, I want you to understand that this man is almost in a category of his own. You know, he's both highly respected and highly suspected. He's wealthy, but he's also unwelcome in many places. Luke records that he's a male eunuch, so he's likely been castrated from a young age. And as one commentator wrote, eunuchs were both prized and demonized. They were demonized because of their sexual ambiguity and prized because of their trustworthiness. Now this man was not just an Ethiopian. He was not just a eunuch, and he was not just an official of the queen, but he was also a worshiper of God. He had some sort of exposure or understanding of how God had led the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. But interestingly, according to the Jewish temple law, eunuchs were considered impure, and they weren't allowed in the temple. And Luke doesn't tell us what sort of experience this person had had in Jerusalem. Was he rejected from entering the temple Did he stand outside the gates just wishing that he could go inside and worship with the others? We don't know. And I'll say just briefly that we at Overflow Church, we're in a world where there's so many people outside the gates. So many people who live in these desert places of hopelessness. Now we affirm that God created man and woman according to his image. And the culture is pushing so hard against God's design. But we believe as the creator, his design is the best. And with that being said, there are many who have been victims of our cultural moment. They may have bought the lies and made decisions that have lasting consequences. Maybe they pursued a same-sex relationship. Maybe they took actions attempting to alter their gender. Maybe they have a long string of relationships that have left them wounded and feeling used. No matter what their particular story holds, we must continue to live out the gospel message of redemption and hope to those who seek him. Our God has gone beyond the temple. As we saw and the crucifixion, the veil has been torn and the Spirit is with us. Now here is our first action point for today. Humbly point others to the destination. You know, there's no one too far gone to experience his forgiveness and his restoration. Sometimes, to our shame, we act like those in the LGBT community are our enemies. And hear me, there may be occasional attacks on the church from that community, and the church has attacked their community as well at times, but we must maintain that all sin separates us from God. 
whether it's stealing or lying or pride or hatred or sex outside of the bounds of marriage, all of that separates us from God. All of that earns the consequences of death and eternal separation from God. But we see in the text that the Holy Spirit pursues all those in the desert places. Whatever their particular experience consists of, that's the same for you and me as well. He met us in our desert place. And you and I can point others to the true hope. We can point others to the destination that we have found in Jesus Christ. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now back to our text. Philip comes upon this man on his way back to Ethiopia. And he's reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. As Philip ran up to the chariot, he asked a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And with that open door, Philip climbed aboard the chariot and continued the conversation. Let's read verses 32 through 35. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so it does not open its mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Now, can we say just how incredible the word of God is? Not only does scripture come alive when we read it through the lens of Jesus, but it also speaks directly to our lives in the most timely moments. I love how you can read a verse or a chapter a hundred times, and it never grows old. It never stops speaking to the moment we're living in. It's active, it's relevant, it's powerful. And here, this man had been reading one of the most clear prophecies from Isaiah that points directly to Jesus. And on top of that, assuming he continued reading after his belief, after his baptism, do you know what passage he would soon encounter? Just a few chapters later, in Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5, it reads, No foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, The Lord will exclude me from his people. And, hear this, the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. How incredible is God's word. How gracious and kind that in his sovereignty, God would lead this man to read this passage of scripture at exactly the right time, when Philip was in exactly the right place, so he could have a promise of hope to carry him home on his journey. It's 
beyond words. I want to draw another application point before we come to our final portion of today's passage. Remember our, our first action point. Humbly point others to the destination. Second, recognize that we don't know what the Spirit has been doing in someone's life. The Spirit is at work. Now, did Philip know that this man had been reading Isaiah when the Spirit told him to go and join him? I don't think Philip knew that. It may have been easy for Philip to write it off and say, man, this guy's rich and I'm not, or... We're from two entirely different cultures. I don't know if we'll be able to interact well. or We may not even speak the same language. But Philip, he didn't throw up these objections. Instead, he was obedient. And it led to an incredible transformation. Now let's read our final portion of the text. Verses 36 through 40. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now the Ethiopian man was so impacted by this good news that Philip shared that he didn't want anything to get in the way of his obedience. Now, can you imagine this baptistry they find along the side of the road? It's not the most clean, filtered water, right? (laughs) It's not a porcelain tub. There's no luxury here. And for a man of his position, this was a pretty massive act of humility. But nothing was going to get in the way of his obedience. And that leads us to our third action point. Obedience breeds greater obedience. You see, Philip's actions, they didn't just affect him. They also affected this Ethiopian official. So, so often we, we write off our actions or our decisions by saying, you know, I'm only hurting myself. My actions only affect myself. But that's not true. Our decisions or our lack of decisions, they affect others. Our obedience leads to greater obedience. We have to maintain a kingdom vision that continues to point others to greater faith and obedience in King Jesus. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but the Spirit wasn't done with Philip. This is another one of those super incredible moments in Scripture, but more or less, the Holy Spirit teleported Philip out of there and placed him in a town further north. If you look at the map, and we've got a blue arrow on the side kind of jumping him to Azotus, And Philip continued traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He continued north to this last leg of the journey. Now, if you look, he's not very far from where he started, right? He is close to where the journey began. He began in Samaria, and he ended in Samaria. 
However, this may not have been his plan, but the Spirit's path was perfect. Philip followed the best guide, the one who knows the destination, even if it's a different route than he thought he would be going. And you and I, we may be on a similar journey. Maybe you expected your life to be heading in a different direction than it currently is, for better or worse. But the path you followed doesn't have to define you. Often, in a moment like that, the best decision you can make is to stop and turn around. When I led our group up the hill into the poison ivy, the best decision was not to continue where we had gone. It was to stop and to turn around. And it can be embarrassing to admit that you've gone the wrong way, but there's hope. There's restoration. And in Jesus, there's forgiveness and brand new life. Now, if you're here today and you need to turn around, whether it's completely turning away from the sin that you've been living in and turning to Jesus for salvation, or if you need to turn back to him because you've been trying to follow your own map for a while, either way, I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer like this. If you'd bow your heads with me. God, I recognize that I don't know the full destination. I don't see the full picture. But I believe that you do. I'm sorry for where I've gone off course and I've tried to, to chart my own path. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for my sins. I, I turn to you and I, I will follow you wherever you lead me pray that you would faithfully guide me, give me the boldness to take the steps of repenting and turning from my sin and following you wherever you lead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if you're here and you've been feeling confused and maybe upset about some of the twists or detours your life has taken, let me encourage you that the Spirit may be preparing you or others for something incredible. Look to Him, trust Him, and continue to follow Him in obedience. There's no telling where He plans to take you.